Wednesday, March 4th, 2015. I'm sitting here unable to figure out how to start this recording because I've, I'm sickened in a way that I, I can't describe uh, sickened by what's been going on with the Jihadi John business. Let's just get to it, if I can try to push myself through this vomitous material. CNN here uh, has a story that it published on March 2nd, that's this Monday, 2015, uh, again by Monica Sarkar and Catherine Shoichet, or Shoichet, my apologies for not uh, pronouncing that right. The title of the story is Jihadi John's Emails Revealed. I, I just can't believe this piece. One of the lines in particular in it is simply, I don't know how to pick my jaw back up off the floor. Here it is. It's a controversial question that sparked debate since officials revealed the identity of the masked man known as Jihadi John. Was Mohammed Mwazi, the man with a British accent who's appeared in numerous ISIS beheading videos, pushed toward extremism by authorities? Or was he someone who'd long been heading down a militant path? Again, notice, uh, <laughs> notice the device here, the rhetorical device. When you present an either-or to the listener, Usually, it's the second of the two possibilities that you, you intend to emphasize as the real answer. Um, for example, did the student do poorly on the test because the teacher taught the class badly? Or did the student do badly because the student was lazy and didn't study? When you, when you present the two uh, parts of an either-or in that order, you're really implying that it's the second rather than the first. So there's already a spinning going on here. A London-based advocacy group that worked with Imwazi says emails he sent them paint a picture of a desperate man, hounded by authorities, who saw his plans for a new life crumble as he tried unsuccessfully to get help. And a report from the Daily Mail, also citing emails purportedly sent from Imwazi to the British publication, said the Kuwait-born Londoner saw himself as a, quote, dead man walking and contemplated suicide because of his alleged harassment by authorities. Again, two discrediting devices here, the adverb purportedly and the adjective alleged. You won't see them <laughs> used used on the other side. So emails purportedly sent from Imwazi. So when you put it that way, you cast doubt on whether they're sent or sent from him. And when you say alleged harassment, you're almost, depending on the context, uh, but in this in this context, it, it comes off as a kind of wink, like, oh yeah, really, harassment. Uh, moreover, the word harassment is a euphemism. The right word for this is psychological terrorism. And if you don't want to take my word for it, then again, you can read Robert I. Simon's book, Bad Men Do What Good Men Dream, to see that even credentialed psychiatrists and psychologists uh, call stalking 
terrorism. And that's when it's stalking by one person. That's not even gang stalking. So gang stalking, of course, is even worse. If, if it's not silly to compare the two, in any case. But some analysts, notice now, analysts, the, the, the ring of authority in that word, analysts. But some analysts say the emails are only part of the story, so it's time to discredit. Arguing that investigators targeted Imwazi because they already saw he had links with terrorist groups. Again, links is vague and we don't have any detail. No detail is offered. Quote, you can't start the story at how he's been treated by UK officials. You certainly can't start the story from the email trail, said Rashad Ali, director at the counter-extremism consultancy Sentry and a fellow of the Institute of Strategic Dialogue. Okay, so he, he's a member of two uh, institutes or institutions that make money off of this business. Quote, you have to go back to why the intelligence services got in contact with him. Well, because he was part of a group of people who were going to join Al-Shabaab, a very extremist organization and jihadist group that got involved in horrific terrorist attacks in Somalia, end quote. So again, they're not showing why they think they, uh, that he was in contact with them. They're not showing us what the contact was, what he said during those moments of contact. What they're doing instead is they're trying to distract us from the fact that there is no case here. And how are they distracting us? By focusing instead on the horrific terrorist attacks in Somalia. It's almost as if by reiterating that the groups are horrible, somehow reiterating it makes it somehow seem like they're proving that Mwazi was a part of them. Next section, pleading for help. Imwazi felt he was being harassed by authorities and tried to seek legal help to stop it, according to CAGE, the human rights and Muslim advocacy organization that worked with him. Again, notice the, the, the subtle discrediting. Imwazi felt he was being harassed. So this is to suggest that uh, he's maybe oversensitive, right? It's, it's an idiosyncratic thing that's going on with him. There's, there's some doubt as to the objectivity of the claim. One email details uh, Imwazi's account. I'm going to skip a couple of lines here because the, you can, they can be read in this story, and I read them on the last one. This is about him talking, his talking about uh, the loss of a job and spouse and the way they laughed at him and their aggression and pushing around, strangling, blah, blah. Um, So that's a key detail, Cage spokesman Amandla Thompson-Johnson said. Uh, quote, if someone is going to carry out some violent attack in any kind of way, then the law is there to be in force and apprehend them, he said. In the UK, he wasn't arrested once, prosecuted, or cautioned whatsoever. Not sure what that means, but British authorities have not responded to CNN's requests for comment. In the emails, Imwazi pleaded for Cage's help. Please help me. Uh, I just want to start my life again in, in Kuwait. I'm skipping a couple of words here because we, I, I want to get to the point. Um, Imwazi wrote that he made a formal complaint at the Independent Police Complaints Commission before going into detail about he was how he was assaulted. I'm, again, skipping some words. But it was a difficult complaint to prove 
Thomas Johnson said. Quote, the IPCC says there's no camera in the room where this took place, so we can't really do much about it except put a black mark against the officer, she said. These things happen in the shadows and the dark. Okay, now we're getting to the, to the juicy part. The next section is called Analysts, colon, Harassment Alone Doesn't Breed Terrorism. So again, the use of the word analysts has a way of asserting authority. Details from court papers are reported in British media paint a different picture. They say Mwazi was part of a group of extremists, sometimes called the North London Boys, who allegedly funneled money and recruits to Al-Shabaab. Okay, so now they're using allegedly in a more fair way on the second side. Well, that's, that's good for them. But the, these court papers don't show what it means to be part of the group, let alone why they think Mwazi was part of the group. But I'm repeating what I said last time, and I'd like to move on to the, the new stuff. The Guardian has reported that Imwazi was part of a terror cell with links to the failed London bomb attacks in 2005. To British authorities, his face was a familiar one for more than five years. <laughs> um, again, um, they don't say what links mean, but I'm, I'm laughing at this other sentence. It's reminiscent of what I mentioned in the last recording. Simply by saying his face was familiar to the authorities has a way of making him look like a bad guy, <laughs> even if it's familiar precisely because it's the authorities who are the bad guys. But authorities lost track of him in 2013. He changed his name and made his way to Syria. Analysts who've studied ISIS recruiting say uh, they aren't buying the argument that harassment from authorities turned Imwazi into Jihadi John. And now the the, the, the beautiful part is coming up. Quote, I think it's an absurd claim, said Peter Newman, director of the International Center for the Study of Radicalization. <laughs> <I'm sorry>. this <laughs> International Center for the Study of Radicalization. <laughs> I wonder if they go around wearing white lab coats. <laughs> Pardon me. So he continues, um, it was not the cause of his radicalization. The reason the intelligence services harassed him was because they suspected him of trying to join the Shabab in Somalia. <laughs> <laughs> this is beautiful this is the juicy part I'm sorry I'm laughing because I feel so sad <laughs> oh, this is pathetic <laughs> up to now the story has been trying to discredit him has been trying to discredit him for saying that he was harassed by by saying that it's only he only felt that way and uh, by using the word purportedly or, or, or allegedly well now they completely turn around and they say not only was he harassed but there was a reason <laughs> i'm so sorry this is just 
It's just so funny. There was a reason he was harassed. <laughs> because they suspected him. I'm so sorry. This is sort of bad manners. This is sort of like when someone gets harassed on a playground and, and they go complain to the teacher. The teacher goes up to the bully and says, Hey, why were you harassing this boy? And the bully says, no, I wasn't harassing him. And then the little boy, the victim says, yes, you were. You hurt. You hit me here. You hit me there. And the teacher says, yeah, see, you hit him here. You hit him there. And the bully says, oh, all right, fine. I was harassing him. But I was harassing him because he said X-Men was better than Fantastic Four. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm getting very silly. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is this is like game over. That's what this is. The, the game's up. This guy, who is an expert in the study of radicalization, has just granted in on CNN in an international forum a that the authorities do harass and b that there could possibly be a right reason to harass someone, which is not true, and see that a legitimate reason to harass is a suspicion. So I'm sorry to have been so silly with all my laughter, but this is this is a new height of absurdity for me. And what's ironic is that he himself is using the word absurd. Look who's talking! I'm so sorry. I'm just... I can't be mature right now about this. <laughs> I'm going to try to continue reading. Ali argued that abuse at the hands of officials is not an excuse for terrorism. <laughs> Quote, people do not turn around when harassed and have grievances and become terrorists. That just goes to show that the word harassed is not the right word. Psychological torture and terrorism, as Robert I. Simon, for example, said, is more like the right word. Again, I'm very sorry to have sort of regressed here to childish giggling, but it, it, I'm a bit overwhelmed, frankly. Let's continue. This section is called uh, editor colon emails to newspaper show quote warped sense of injustice in addition to the emails released by cage another series of emails from Mwazi came to light over the weekend the messages were sent in 2010 and 2011 to the daily mail security editor robert Verkake. the daily mail published excerpts from those exchanges including Mwazi's description of an incident where he tried to sell his laptop through a website but only stated his surname. When he met a potential buyer at a London underground station, he says the person he met shook his hand and said, Nice doing business with you, Mohammed. I never told this person my first name, wrote Mwazi to Verkeg, and I never give out my first name, 
it was impossible for him to know my first name. Sound familiar, people? He also hinted at suicidal thoughts. Quote, sometimes I feel like I'm a dead man walking, not fearing they may kill me. Rather, fearing that one day I'll take as many pills as I can so that I can sleep forever. I just want to get away from these people. Wow. Verkeik said he met Imwazi in 2010 when he was investigating his claims of being harassed by police and intelligence. Imwazi's concerns bordered on paranoia, Verkeik wrote, and he desperately wanted his story to be told. Sound familiar, people? Quote, like many young Muslim men at the time, he appeared to have a grievance. But this man was different, Verkaic wrote. In him was a warped sense of injustice that could never justify the barbaric acts of murder that he has gone on to carry out in Syria. End quote. Well, but of course when we... Uh, when we go into the Middle East and perpetrate barbaric acts, we don't have a warped sense of injustice. This is so tiring. All these double standards, all this hypocrisy, all this lying, all this spin, the vertigo from it is just exhausting. But uh, what's more immediately um, uh, useful and relevant is that we have here a so-called expert in a so-called center for the study of so-called radicalization coming out in the open and saying, yes, people who are suspected should be harassed. That's a legitimate reason. So because this has come out in the open, there, what, what needs to happen now is lawsuits. People need to start suing these governments. It's come out in the open now that the governments are at least an expert endorsing or an expert for the government, working with the government, is coming out and saying it. This is, that's it. These are crimes. These, this is domestic terrorism psychological terrorism. They're crimes. People should start suing at this point. If, and, and we would be able to if the courts weren't in on it as well. If the courts weren't, as, I, as that lawyer told me, I mentioned on a previous recording, the courts are simply refusing to hear these cases, just as the Supreme Court refused to hear the NDAA case uh, by the appeal by Chomsky, Hedges, and company. This is, I don't, I can't find words for, for this. Uh, the video that comes along with this story uh, calls Mwazi cold and odd. What is it, odd and strange or odd and cold or something like that. You see the lengths, the desperate lengths that these people are going to, to reverse cause and effect, to paint him, to pathologize him from the beginning, from the get-go. 
before the UK authorities uh, destroyed his life. You see, he's not allowed to be cold and strange, but Andy Warhol is. John Cage is. They're white. They're artists. <laughs> so they're allowed to be cold and odd and strange. <laughs> oh, the greatest nation on earth. And it's bosom buddy across the ocean. Anyway, uh, here's another story. This is uh, MSNBC. The brilliant Chris Matthews and his brilliant uh, pundits. Let's have a listen. Welcome back to Harbaugh. A new audio recording is said to capture a 2009 conversation with Mohammed Mwazi, the man identified last week as Jihadi John. The tape documented Mwazi speaking with an advocacy organization called CAGE. It's a controversial group that helps communities affected by the war on terror. Notice that uh, little act of that subtle discrediting remark, a controversial group. Simply by calling it controversial, one works to cast doubt on its legitimacy. Uh, CNN did uh, something similar, I think, in one of their video stories. They said something like, an activist group that helps terror suspects. I mean, that just sounds so damning. <laughs> just, uh, well, that, was, that was quite clever. In it, Mwazi is complaining about his interrogation by a British intelligence official, intelligence official who was investigating whether he intended to join the terror group al-Shabaab in Somalia. And while he says in the thing that he denied being an extremist, he says the agent didn't believe him. Here it goes. He looked at me and he said, I still believe that you're going to Somalia to train. I said, after what I just told you, after, you know, I told you that what's happening is extremism, this and that, and you're still suggesting that I'm an extremist. And so, yeah, and he just started, you know, going on, trying to put words into my mouth, saying, no, you're doing this, 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 and we're going to keep a close eye on you, Mohammed. We already have been. We're going to keep a close eye on you, threatening him. And then, you know, I just went out. Uh, I'll pause it there because this is interesting. The stories that we've read so far have said, we, the intelligence communities, have evidence that he is uh, part of, uh, he's interested in joining al-Shabaab. If that's the case, then why is he being interrogated? Why is he being asked, are you interested in going to Somalia precisely because you want to become a terrorist? Why instead do they not sit him down at a table and say, here is the evidence proving that you want to join al-Shabaab. We've caught you red-handed. Here is the evidence. It's because the evidence doesn't exist unless they concoct it now that, that they, if they come under more pressure. If it existed, they, there wouldn't be any of this smoke. This discussion wouldn't be drawing out in this, this pathetic and absurd way. They would, just, they would simply need to adduce one piece of evidence. And, and that's it. It clinches it. NBC News yet. Today, however, Mwazi's father authorized his lawyers to speak to NBC for the first time, and he's saying that his son is not the ISIS leader known as Jihadi John. I'm joined right now by NBC's Keir Simmons in London and MSNBC terrorism analyst Evan Coleman. Keir, uh, this not, I guess, the, is this just a father saying his son's innocent? Is that all we take it for? 
Well, look, here's how it played out, Chris. Uh, an NBC News team uh, tracked down uh, Mwazi's dad today, and we were told first by a work colleague that his dad had said uh, previously, may God take revenge on him, meaning his own son. And then today his lawyers say that his dad says uh, that they don't believe it's him, that they haven't seen the evidence uh, that uh, it, it is him. Look, Chris, the, the fact is for uh, his father to be right, an awful lot of people uh, need to be wrong, including um, some uh, government officials who have uh, told NBC News and other news organizations uh, that it is him. It... Notice what happened there. Uh, uh, the government can't be wrong. The, our whole army of experts can't be wrong. Uh, even though on a much more uh, simple and straightforward mathematical problem, uh, years ago, Marilyn Vosavant showed that <laughs> PhDs in math even and graduate students could could be wrong. Um, but this is about whether, this is about a contesting the father's claim, which is a separate point, not a very interesting one, actually. And in this case, it, it, the government may well be right. This may really be Jihadi John. Anyway. What's interesting about this, Chris, is that Mwazi was a member of a gang uh, here in West London, uh, basically, and what he appears to do, with some others, is move to Syria and join uh, the ISIS gang. <laughs> this is, this is now, now he's a gang member. <laughs> now he's a, a gang. I think, I think there was mention of this on uh, uh, one of the pieces I read during the previous recording, but what does it mean to be a member of a gang? The implication is that he's a criminal. Well, if he's a criminal, he must have committed a crime. If he committed a crime, why wasn't he charged? Where is the evidence? What was the crime? Why, why is there no criminal record for this guy? What does it mean to be part of a gang? What did they do? <laughs> be part of the same knitting club? And what we're hearing now from his dad does feel a little bit like a parent whose son is in a gang saying, that's not my son. <laughs> what do you think of that recording, that 2009 recording that we've got now, the audio recording? What did, I'm not sure what game he was playing, but clearly, if you believe he's, he's Johnny right. John, he was just enjoying uh, his attempts to foible the, uh, the authorities. <laughs> <laughs> a recording from 2009. He becomes Jihadi John four years later. But he, it's not even thinkable that in 2009 he was telling the truth. And, and Chris Matthews just takes it for granted. He's, he's playing a game. He's this diabolical Muslim terrorist is trying to foible our, our poor, innocent, do-gooding authorities. Well, it goes to the same uh, issue I was talking about there, really, which is you can see it in two ways. Either it is a, a young man who is innocent, who is frustrated by being accused of things he hasn't done and being, uh, you know, kind of prevented from traveling by British authorities because he is innocent. Or, again, it is a young man who's been involved in street crime, who is connected to gangs, who is doing the kind of thing that gang members do, which is to basically deny everything and play the innocent guy. So uh, you can make your own choice. And the thing about hearing that audio is that you get to hear for yourself and decide for yourself. <laughs> this is exquisite. Notice, first of all, the, sa the same either-or trick. Uh, either-or is, is supposed to be giving uh, fair time or fair credit to both sides of the either-or. But by putting the wrong one first, you put the one second that you really want to stress. Either he's, he's an innocent victim or, wink-wink, this is what I really mean, He's a liar, and he's a part of a gang. 
notice the reference to gangs again. What did he do? Did he did he steal cars? Did he uh, rob Seven Elevens? What what does this gang do? What did he do? If he's a if he's a criminal, where is his criminal record? The, the exquisite part was the final thing he said, which is, "This is the audio we presented to you. You can hear it for yourself and make your own decision. We haven't just gotten done." smearing this guy's character and biasing you. Oh, no, 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 no. We would never dream of doing that. We leave it to you to decide. <laughs> oh, so decide for yourself. Have in common your views of this thing. This, the, the, both things, the father denying the son's guilt and the, and the son speaking in, in a kind of a whimsical way about his efforts to, to confuse the authorities. <laughs> whimsical. Yeah, look, I mean, you have to understand it's his father. And I've seen this before. It happens all the time in terrorism cases. A lot of these parents find it very difficult to accept the fact that their kids have gone so far astray. But when you look at the actual evidence, when you look at the history, oftentimes there were plenty of clues that these kids, something was very wrong. Notice that he used the word evidence. He just used the word evidence. And there is no evidence. He says there are clues. What are these clues? It's all this innuendo. And in some cases, these parents have recognized that they just didn't want to believe it. Now, as far as his, his recording or his complaints about the British, look, Mr. Amwazi has been linked to Bilal Burjawi, who was a London... What does linked mean? Did they grope each other while ballroom dancing? ...based uh, jihadi commander who eventually went to Somalia, was killed in a drone strike there, a U.S. drone strike. This is a guy... Really, you have to be very careful about taking anything he says. <gasps> be careful about taking anything that he says. At his word. And this is exactly what these folks are told to do if they are captured by law enforcement. To deny everything. To say, I'm there, I, I was there for a safari. I was there for an adventure. <laughs> Notice when, uh, uh, when that, uh, that, I think it was a Pakistani guy who tried to blow up the thing in Times Square... Uh, it was a dud. The bomb didn't go off in, in that car. He didn't deny anything. He he avowed his purposes uh, brazenly. He said, he not, not only did he say, uh, not only was I planning to uh, blow up Times Square, but God is on my side. I'm very happy with the fate that God has left me. I don't believe in jihad. This is what they're told to say. They know to say this. Thank you. You know, the American prisons are filled with people who didn't do it. Exactly. Now, stop and savor this. This is this moment right here is ineffably incredible. Snidely insinuating that the American prisons are full of people who, quote, didn't do it. The irony here is the American prisons are full of people who didn't do it? Bill Keller of the New York Times actually left his post as, as uh, the, the editor of the New York Times to devote himself full time to the abuses and injustices of our prison system. This irony is, is, is seriously precious right here. Exactly. The, the, and the British really don't make mistakes like this. The UK security services, when they pull someone aside, more often than not, they know exactly who they're pulling aside. And they know exactly what they're doing there. First they say they make no mistakes. First he said they make no mistakes. 
he has the gall to sit here and say, the British authorities make, make no mistakes about this. And then in the same breath, he says, more often than not, they know the guy that they're pulling aside, which is to imply that there are times when they don't know what they're doing. Look at the confusion here. So I think in this case, I think you really want to give the U.K. security services the benefit of the doubt, especially because we all know how this story ended, yeah. and it didn't end in a good way. It didn't end in the good way. There you have it, people. Reversal of cause and effect. I think it was a good daddy of a good jihadi. Anyway, thank you, Keir Simmons, and thank you, having come with your expertise. 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 Where's Laurie Anderson when we need her to sing? Only an expert can deal with the problem. Well, it's not really hard to understand what happened to this guy. He's not allowed to travel without being molested. He's not allowed to go to his home country. Uh, he uh, was doing well at a computer company, and then uh, lost his job. His career became destroyed. And uh, then, uh, then he's smeared as being part of a, a gang of criminals, and, and yet there is no crime reported, no crime on his record that's being uh, presented to us. This goes on for years, during which time he falls deeper and deeper into despair, becoming suicidal. He's clearly... Uh, his mind is, is, is messed with, as in that moment when he, uh, when he finds out that the person purchasing his eBay item knows his first name, even though he never gave away his first name. So he knows he's being manipulated by the system in a, in a large way, in a deep and big way, that the, he's a hunted person. He's on some radar the whole time, and that there are people who are... Uh, committed to gaslighting him, in, in some sense at least. He's desperate to leave, desperate to get out of this hell. Um, he finally finds a way. And what country will take him? Well, Syria will take him. And what does he do when he gets to Syria? He uh, he begins by volunteering as a, I don't know if it was as a, a kind of medic or a kind of... Um, some kind of it was definitely some kind of humanitarian uh, project that he started off with, and look where he's ending up. Uh, we haven't seen videos of him actually beheading people. At least I haven't. If they've been posted somewhere, I haven't seen them, and I, I'd rather not. Um, we haven't seen him actually kill anyone. I have not. Maybe those videos exist, but certainly the organization he's with, the so-called Islamic State, is shown on video, if we are to trust the video, doing the most cold-blooded killing uh, that I, I have ever seen in my life. I mean, we do hear about firing squads, ex execution squads, and we read about them, and uh, there's a famous painting by Goya, actually, but to see those videos is, is something uh, else, and it's, uh, it's uh, very, very chilling to see totally helpless people just shot as if, uh, as if they're target practice. Uh, so no doubt uh, some of these things are truly horrible. The question is, why 
why did he go from his humanitarian purpose at the beginning of his stay in Syria to, as the media like to put it, the, uh, the face of the Islamic State? And I'll say what I said to Lydia a long time ago. Ask him. Why don't you ask him? Ask him to tell his story. Send in a journalist. Send in ten journalists. Get him to talk. Get them to tell their story. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing these horrible things? In fact, we don't even need to send journalists in there. We don't need to ask him. Because he anticipated our curiosity and he answered the question for us. This is the part that never gets discussed, at least not so far, even though it's right under our noses. In those videos that are played, that have been played multiple times now, he looks straight into the camera and he says, Obama, you hack the heads off of our people here, so it's only fair that we hack the heads of your people. He's actually already answered the question. He's saying that we, our military, is committing barbaric acts of violence in Syria and Iraq. But that can't be true, can it? The greatest nation on earth, God's country, descending to such savagery, he's lying. He must be lying. Mustn't he?